Thank you, Ryan. So it's nice to see real Christians show up to church when you're battling rain and wind and tornadoes. The early service had it a little bit rougher than you guys, but uh, so I'm glad you're here. This is kind of a real Christian kind of a sermon, so fasten your seatbelt, and we'll get at it. Before we start, um, I want you to write down, remember to pray for Silas. I put his picture up there last week, Pastor Adam Lamley's uh, grandson. Um, he's hanging in there. Uh, they're having a lot of trouble with his lungs, so pray for that little guy. He's got a bunch of other complications, and I'll try to keep you posted on that. I'd also like you to pray for Steve Hall and Diana Hall, his wife, uh, Bryce and Shelby are part of our youth group. Uh, I went and prayed with them yesterday um, at an assisted living facility in Venice, and it, it looks like Steve's coming to the end of his life battling... Uh, early stage Alzheimer's, dementia, and a lot of it came upon him because he worked with chemicals in the military. So even though he didn't die from war, he did, he will eventually die because he served his country. So, so he's a hero, and he's a hero to his family, so pray for him. Now, we're coming to the end of John 8, and I've titled this throwing stones at God because this confrontation with Jesus and these religious leaders comes to an abrupt ending where they literally want to throw stones at Christ. And a lot of that goes on. Uh, we, we've had to read over and over again. It's kind of get exhausted. I'm ready to kind of get through it, you know. It's just exhausting hearing Jesus say these wonderful things, and then people just keep rejecting him, and this happens in our world, and so what I want to do, today is a communion Sunday, so I want this to have a communion flavor, and even though we're reading about people wanting to throw stones at God at the end, we will throw praise and worship at Jesus, right, and remember what he did for us. So, why is the Holy Spirit through John giving us all these details about all the hostility that Jesus had? This is so important for us to understand as believers. Because I think when people are hostile to us or they persecute us, we can feel like we're doing something wrong. But it's very possible that we're doing something right. And we're tempted to back down. We're tempted to water down the truth and leave things out because we don't want anyone to be offended. we got to be very careful of that. Yes, we have to watch how we say things. Jesus said, be as sly as serpents, harmless as doves. Be gentle. Be gracious. But people need to hear the truth. Uh, two Sundays ago... We had a lady that walked out of church. She was, she was upset. And uh, it was obviously at the moment I brought up abortion. And, you know, I hope you know abortion isn't a political issue. It's a biblical issue. Talking about when you look at the God creates life, God takes life. 
And so that's why I brought it up, because we were talking about the devil and murder. And I just want you all to know that I tried to, I tried to track this lady down. I tried some people to talk to her. I was like, Can we? She, would, she didn't want to give her name or number, because I wanted to go try to reason with her. I, wanted to, I didn't want to apologize for telling the truth, but I wanted to try to maybe, you know, maybe we could work things out a little bit. But you, you want to know the truth? Even if I went over and tried to smooth things out, some people just don't want to hear truth. And I'm telling you all, liberalism is a religion. And many people cannot turn, surrender to Christ because they don't want to let it go. Conservatism can be a religion where people become self-righteous and they're, they're more into being a conservative than they are being a Christian. So we better be very careful of all of these things. But listen to what Jesus said. We'll see this when we get to John 15. Uh, John 15, 18 says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So he, he's teaching his disciples who are going to take the message. Hey, listen, remember, the world hates me, and they're going to hate you when you try to go and tell them the truth. My son Nathaniel brought up something I thought was so, so true, so good. Uh, we were discussing. He says, you know, he says, you know, Dad, in other countries um, like China, Christians in China or Christians in Iran, he's like, everybody knows who the true Christians are over there. But in America, we can't tell who the true Christians are because it's like everybody's on the fence. And you can be a Christian and have any ideology. You can be a Christian and be involved in any lifestyle. You can be a Christian and believe whatever. And so sometimes, man, you know, I told somebody the other day, everything I've been preaching about my entire ministry is now coming true in the world, and I don't like it. Because I got grandkids. But the Bible tells us it's coming. And I really believe it could be a good thing for the church in America because we might find out who the true Christians are. And so these things are so important to discuss. So I'm not going to give points today. I'm just going to do a Bible study, read the, end of, read the end of John 8, explain it, and then we'll take communion together, all right? So throwing stones at God, we'll start in verse 48. It says, the Jews answered him, whenever you see the Jews... You, you need to know, he's talking about the re Jewish religious leaders. Uh, the disciples were Jews, okay? There were many Jewish believers, but the, that whenever that term is there, he's talking about these arrogant religious leaders. He says, are, he, they say, are we not right in saying you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So they're, they're, they're now, Jesus is saying these beautiful things, and they're calling him a Samaritan. And every, every, that's kind of a racial thing, because, because they hated the Samaritans. And, and, and they're telling God the Son that he has a demon. How, how far can you get with your hard heart and your hypocrisy? Jesus answered, 
I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Jesus is saying, he's kind of like saying, I'm not interested in what you guys want to say and what you want to call me. He's like, my father's the judge. I, I, he knows me. And listen, listen, guys, there is a great freedom when you can live for God and live to please God. And you're not afraid of what, what the world says. And Jesus had that. And we need to follow in that example. And whenever you're having a debate, whenever having an argument with someone, you go through these stages, all right? First, it's intellectual. You're having an intellectual conversation. You try to tell somebody the truth. Then they intellectually tell you why they don't believe the truth. It's just, it just starts off like that. But then what happens? It becomes emotional. Now, all of a sudden, they're, they're mad. They get angry because you're trying to tell them the truth. Then guess what it becomes? Irrational. Because then they'll resort to name-calling, right? And this is what these guys are doing here. And, you, you know, this goes on in our world all the time where people, people don't want to hear truth, so they'll just say, oh, you're a racist. Oh, you're Hitler. And, and it's irrational. Then the final stage, it becomes physical. It becomes physical. You know, I mean, I've had a couple of people look at me like they wanted to choke me. Um, and this is what happens here. It became physical where they violently wanted to throw stones and really execute Jesus. So let's read on. Verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, for real, for real, Jesus says, if anyone keeps my word he will never see death. I love that. He doesn't even listen to all of him, calling him a Samaritan and all that other stuff. He's just like, if you keep my words, you will never see death. I'm trying to save you guys from death, the second death, okay? And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon, Abraham died, as did the prophets, and that you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. He's saying, I came to save you from the second death. And some of you are asking, what is the second death? Well, the first death is everybody's going to die physically unless the Lord re returns in our lifetime. And then people are going to die the second death where they die spiritually. And they're separated from God for all of eternity. And again, churches today don't even talk about this. It's like somebody might be offended that you're talking. Listen to what Revelation 20 says as you get toward the end of the scriptures. It's talking about the great white throne judgment where all unbelievers will go and God will give them a fair trial. And they will give an account for every thought and every word. Scripture says the books will be opened. Their entire life's going to be shown to them. 
And then it says this, what's going to happen? Verse 14 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. That's eternal hell. And what does it mean death and Hades are going to be thrown into the lake of fire? Well, because, okay, when a Christian dies, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So where do unbelievers go? To be absent from the body is to be present in Hades. Hades is a holding place for those who unbelievers who rejected the grace of Jesus Christ. They will stay in that holding place. It's kind of like it's kind of like if somebody commits a crime, they go to the county jail. They're in a holding place, and then they'll go to court, and then they'll be sentenced to prison. It's the same kind of thing. So unbelievers die, they go to Hades, but then then they will be resurrected to stand at the great white throne judgment. And Jesus is saying, I'm trying to save you guys from the second death. People have no idea of the magnitude of that judgment day that's coming and the magnitude of second death. And listen, we're going to take communion in the end here. And communion helps us to remember what saved us from the second death. And we ought to take communion so, so reverent, so, so thankful. And we should worship him for this great sacrifice he made. Well, it doesn't really work what Jesus says. Verse 53, they said, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. That's not nice. (laughs) But I do know him, and I keep his word. Jesus is trying to wake them up, trying to wake them up. And because they're accusing Jesus of being arrogant. And Jesus is saying, I've not done anything to glorify myself. Jesus was the most humble person that ever lived. He left the glories of heaven to come and die on that cross. God the Father wants Jesus to be glorified, and he will be. But he's saying, you should see that I don't seek glory for myself like you guys do because they they were on a power trip with their religion. But once again, he tries to tell them, you don't know God who you say you believe in. We've got a lot of people in the world, and we've already talked about this, who say they believe in God, but they do not know God. And they do not, they do not come to God through Jesus Christ, and it's the only way. Have you ever noticed, I know some people are mean to everybody in the world, <laughs> whatever religion they are, but have you ever noticed when religion comes up and people will protect the Muslims, the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, 
They try to, they try to protect him if somebody says anything. But Christians, people who believe Christ is the only way, that's who they get hostile at. And that, it just, it just shows itself that that's the truth. And so again, people just don't want to hear it. Jesus says in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Luke's gospel tells us Jesus started his ministry about 30 years old. So he's, he's in his 30s. And and they're, they don't get it. They're, they're trying to say, you knew Abraham? We already saw. We talked about this, how Jesus appeared to Abraham in the form of a Christophany where he showed up and made promises to Abraham that he would have a son. So what does it mean that your father Abraham looked ahead to Jesus' day? What, what was on Abraham? And Sarah's mind with many of the promises God gave him that didn't come about in their lifetime. Hebrews tells us what was on their mind and hearts. Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the, in the land of promise, as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob and heirs with him of the same promise. So Abraham leaves his home, and he goes and lives in tents, kind of like a wonder. Why? Because during that time, God was producing the nation of Israel that would bring about the Messiah. Verse 10, I love this. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundation, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham didn't see all those promises come about, but he looked ahead and he believed in heaven. And he believed in God, that God will fulfill his promise. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received the power to conceive when she was past the age, in her 90s. Past menopause. It was an absolute miracle for her to get pregnant. And they had a hard time believing, trust me. But they just kept waiting. And she considered him faithful, who they had promised. They, they believed God was faithful. And then verse 12. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead... <laughs> That'll bless your heart, right? Hey, old guy, you're as good as dead. <laughs> Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, because he's a hundred, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. God keeps his promises. He always does. And the nation of Israel was born. And this brought about the Messiah to us, the Savior of the world that we're going to remember today, who came and gave us forgiveness of our sins. And by the way, 
Do you want to know why there's so much hatred going on toward Israel? Because that place is Jesus' place. And he's going to reign there one day. And so people hate Israel. They hate the Bible. They, they hate Christians. So don't be surprised, dear brother and sister. It just comes. It comes with that name. It comes when you live it. We're not doing anything wrong. It, it, it is what it is. And we need to stay strong together. So these guys say, you're not 50 years old. You've seen Abraham. <laughs> I love this. this. This blew steam out of their ears, okay? Jesus said to them, verse 58, truly, truly, for real, for real, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Ego of me. I'm God. I'm God. Verse 59. I always hear people say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Let me tell you something. These religious leaders knew exactly what he was saying. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. It wasn't his time yet. It wasn't his time. So Jesus never claimed to be God. Let me read Exodus 3. I've been quoting it a lot. Let me read it. I want you to see the scripture. Exodus 3, when Moses talks to God at the burning bush. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Jesus is the I am. God who talked to Moses. But they didn't want the truth. They didn't want to worship him. They worshiped their religion. They worshiped their self-righteousness. And so they picked up stones to throw at God. Crazy, crazy. Jesus could have never died by stoning or any other execution. Why? Because the Bible clearly prophesied that he would be, he would die on a cross. The Bible clearly prophesied that he would be the Passover lamb. Do you, have you ever thought about the mathematical chances that Jesus could come and get himself killed on the Passover? He was in control of it all. It was not going to happen until he willingly went and laid his life down. I want to read this to you. And this will be the last verses because we're going to take communion. Thinking of communion now. And the cross that saves us from our sin. Listen to Psalm 22. This was written by King David, okay, a thousand years, a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth. It, this was said before crucifixion was even invented in the world. The, the Persians 
invented crucifixions. The Romans perfected it to make sure it would be torture and suffering. Listen to what David says. This is, this, this is what's called poetic prophecy. And David says, For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. Have you ever read the Gospels and how they gambled for the clothing of Jesus to mock him? How did that happen? It was God. This absolutely proves the scripture true. Absolutely proves it true. And here's the thing. We have to choose. Do we want to believe the truth? Christians, we're not, we're not living on some blind faith. We got scripture. And we've got evidence that backs it up. We got prophecy that there's no way it could have happened if God wasn't behind him. We can look at history. And there's so much evidence for the proof of Jesus Christ and the resurrection that really puts the stamp of approval that Jesus is the only way, the way, the truth, and the life that you can come to God. So everybody has got to make their choice, okay? Uh, I want you to take the communion that you have. Um, if you're new, uh, the, bread, the bread and the juice is together. We're going to take this now. Should be in the pocket in front of you or beside you if you're in the front. And we're going to remember what Jesus did to save us from that second death. And Jesus, on the night before he died, he took bread with his disciples. And he said, guys, this is my body. Remember my body that's going to be put on that cross for you. When you get together and you have church, and you have fellowship, I want you to remember my body that's going to be put on the cross. And Isaiah talks about crucifixion too. And it talks about how he would be crushed for our iniquities. And it's symbolic. And as we chew the bread, we crush it in our mouth. And it helps us to remember that Jesus was crushed on our behalf. So let's take it together and remember our great Savior. And then, of course, he took the juice or the wine. And he said, take this. This is my blood. The blood of my covenant, symbolic, symbolic. What's, what's blood stand for? Blood stands for death. His death. Remember my death because Jesus bled and died. Now, he gave up his spirit. He gave up his life because no one could take his life from him. But he allowed, he came and took on a human body. And somebody says, well, I didn't think God had any blood. He had blood when Jesus was on the earth. And that is the blood where we get forgiveness and salvation 
and eternal life forever. So precious. How can we not be thankful? How can we not worship him? Let's take the juice together and remember. Please pray with me this morning. Band's going to come. Our worship band is going to come. It's a good song to end today, worshiping God for how good he's been to us. And just in this moment, would you pray to the Lord? You know, I'll be be happy to pray for you because I care about you. But you don't need me to pray. God wants to talk to you. God wants to have a personal relationship with you. You can talk to him. And you can say, God, uh, I need forgiveness of my sin. God, I want to be saved from the second death. I want to be in heaven with you. I want to have eternal life. The best I know how, the best, best I can understand, the best I can do with my heart is to believe that Jesus died for me and he loves me. And just pray and say, God, I'd, I'd like that forgiveness. Call upon him. Turn from your sin. Turn from whatever's keeping you from Jesus. Your religion, your politics, whatever. Turn from it all. And surrender your life. And give it to Jesus and follow him. He will give you the strength to get through this life. And he will get you safe and sound to that city that Abraham was looking forward to. Where we'll live with God forever. Father God, thank you that we could come to church and worship you, Lord. Thank you for designing the church, Jesus, for starting the church, a place that your children can gather, have fellowship together, love one another, and just worship together and study your precious word. And also, God, communion, we really want to remember you, and we want to be thankful in our hearts, and we want to sing to you now and worship you for making an incredible sacrifice to rescue us from ourselves and our sin. So now, God, I pray that our hearts would worship you, and God, I pray your people would leave, and they would want to share the good news with others. Help us to be strong when when the world hates us, God. Help us to be strong together. But God, we want to throw worship and praise at you now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's stand and sing our final worship song together.